always kind of coming away where you, you feel like you, you could have done one more if you if you needed to and you but you're feeling good about the workout and you know you can wake you know you can go tonight to sleep and you can sleep well and you can wake up in the morning and you can repeat another another good one that triathlon show 129 Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and today I bring you part two of my interview with Professor Paul Larson on interval training. You heard part one on Monday, and if you didn't, definitely go back and listen to that one first. We'll jump right back into the interview from where we left off today. And uh, in part one, I also introduce Paul's background and uh, give you his resume, so to say. So let's get right into the interview after thanking Precision Hydration for sponsoring this episode. As you are probably well aware by now, people lose different amounts of sodium in their sweat. Some people sweat a lot, some people sweat less, and some people have sweat that contains a lot of sodium and some have lower concentrations of sodium. So your sweat sodium losses in endurance performance is a very individual thing. And that's why Precision Hydration has created a free online sweat test that has been validated against real lab data from sweat testing athletes and you can take this test on precisionhydration.com and it will tell you roughly how much sodium you lose in your sweat and this will also guide your sodium intake in your races whether you use precision hydration or not but it will give you the exact amount of milligrams of sodium per hour that you should take if you're training or racing so go to precisionhydration.com, take that free online sweat test, and if you decide to go with Precision Hydration products for your electrolyte needs, which I would highly recommend, then you can get your first box for free when you use the discount code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps. And again, the website is precisionhydration.com. So let's get right back into the interview with Paul Larson. That that's a very good point, actually. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense uh, for many different reasons. Uh, l- but if if we talk about something like time in zone, for example, so just to give a concrete example, and uh, let's say we have somebody who's going to do a track workout, and and they can choose between doing ten times four hundred with some uh, recovery, and or they can do four times one thousand. So uh, how can time in zone or some other metric or some other thinking thought process help them decide which would be the more beneficial for them to do in in that situation yeah well again that's that's a that's a great one um great example because it kind of goes almost almost back to the short interval versus the long interval uh type stimulus there so again this will depend on the intensity that they do either those 400s or 1000s However, the 400 one is is a little bit closer to the short interval format that um, with, you know, if you've got appropriate recovery durations in between those 400s, you, it could be wind up being a less 
uh, a less stressful workout than the the four thousands, right? With the, with imagine the thousands or you're prolonging that intensity. So you're you're I guess um, the four by one thousand would be more like that type four workout that we talked about, type four target, where um, it, it could so be it was only, only aerobic. Or? Well, no, type fours was um, was the max one. It was kind of like um, these are like VO2 max type intervals almost, where there's that would be um, you know oxidative, anaerobic, and neuromuscular potentially. Whereas the 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 four hundreds is, is a little bit more of a short interval. It, um, you could create still a type four one if you're blasting out those four hundreds. Of don't get me wrong, but if you uh, you know it, it, maybe even if we brought them down to three hundred, say. Um, we could get um, with with appropriate recovery between. We could get a little bit more of a, um, uh, a lessened neuromuscular uh, and a, le- you know, a little bit lessened of a uh, uh, anaerobic glycolytic uh, system there as well. So the example that you've given, you could all that would be one where you by having those two interval workouts in in a week, you could it might be more appropriate with the the having. Uh, the the two different ones as opposed to um, two interval workouts of four by one thousand if if you kind of get me yeah okay yeah totally yeah that that makes a lot of sense and in that uh, yeah the four hundred was a bit uh, a bit too short but I guess we could make a comparison of a free by a mile workout and uh, what would it be six times eight hundred I think that adds up to be the same distance four thousand eight hundred meters of work. Yeah. And and then you could have both would be long intervals. And uh, so I can give you like my, how I've been thinking about this uh, up until now for quite some time, at least. I I want to, to get, get as much aerobic adaptation as possible. So I would maybe, if the athlete is advanced enough and can, uh, can pace the, the miles well, I would probably pick the mile because I know that they will spend a larger proportion of the time in in the right zone their total time in heart rate zone five will be higher so my thinking has been that that i can get more of a more of a, a stimulus for for the vo2 max type aerobic system with with that workout which is what which is my goal for that for that workout but on the other hand uh, i haven't really considered like the potential difference in recovery between the two types of workouts so so what what would your thought thought process be with those two similar type of interval workouts but uh different uh, different uh, uh interval length of of the two workouts and, and slightly different recoveries then i guess yeah it's a <laughs> it's a great it's a it's an awesome question and uh again so many ways to skin a cat when it comes to training uh, we really, you know, we really have to always kind of start back with the, um, the, you know, the, 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 the person that we have in front of us. And, um, so, so I'm just thinking with, um, I, I know what kind of what you were going at with the, um, the VO2 max type, uh, philosophy, you know, there's this, there's a, and the, there's this philosophy that the more time you spend at your VO2 max, um, the more you are able to enable that adaptation, which is which is great thinking. Um, the problem, however, is that in some individuals, that is almost uh, we find that to be kind of uh, too too stressful sort of thing. So, what you've suggested uh, with the longer miles that m- that might work out great. 
for for certain individuals, but on another individual, that might be overly stressful. And um, you're, you know, the name of the game in in for any athlete is training consistency. So we the if we go back to first principles, we really want to be nailing as many as many sessions as we can, ideally, because then we're we're, we're enabling that um, that the the frequency of the stimulus in the cells of the body to uh, to be kind of consistent, and that's that's one of the main the main principles we want to do. So if a person's built up to what you're suggesting that's that's great but if on the other hand if they're just starting up they might not kind of uh be able to handle though that that um i guess highly stressful workout that you've that you potentially that you've that you've uh, suggested i'm not sure if that answers your your question michael but well, is, it, is, yeah, it, it it does again tell us that uh, that it's uh, it really depends and you need to take the whole context into account of course and uh, and that's where knowing the athlete that you coach becomes integral or if you're self coach really knowing your yourself and what what you can can handle uh i guess uh, one thing that we so so one thing that came came to mind when during your answer was that should athletes in general like do internal workouts so that they're completely knackered they had nothing left to give at the end of it they felt like they got 100% of what they had in them done at the end of the last interval or should they have like one or maybe two intervals left in them that they could have done or should they do a mix what's your philosophy on that uh, that could be the most important point that's made throughout the entire interview Michael, and that's uh, yeah, it's kind of more the more. I think it was more the latter suggestion that you had, where you you don't want to be buggered at the end. You always want to feel like you could have done more. You should always be leaving that workout. If you know, if it's um, if it feels too stressful, it probably is. Like um, that's uh, feeling too stressful though. That's uh, maybe not. Uh the correct way to frame it because for some athletes like really going to the well uh, on a regular basis is uh, is there they they thrive on it at least they think they do uh they don't necessarily do it but 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 they think that that's what they need to do really go all out uh, all the time or at least every time they go to the track or they have a hard trainer workout or something like that so so that's kind of, so so i guess that what you're saying might be too stressful even if if you feel that that you've given it your absolute all and you didn't have any interval left in you. For some, that might be a feeling of victory, a great feeling, but it might still be too stressful. Or is am I reframing that wrong? But that's kind of what I got from that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, again, we're coming down to the individual. There's probably individuals that could, that, that you know, they're incredibly resilient, but there's also a lot of individuals uh, that will, um, they'll just, unfortunately, go with that uh they'll feel like they're thriving on it and uh they will and i've done this myself uh, you you just you push yourself just that little bit too far and uh you're either you either cause an injury or you are buggered for the next day and again remember training consistency is probably the most uh you know getting back and doing that next session that's on your plate that's probably one of the key factors that's going to um elicit uh the best adaptation in the long run towards the towards the key event so for me what's worked for me and again we're all individual coaches and and whatnot out there um and and most of the people the athletes that are coming to me are highly highly motivated if i told them to go to the well every time they would 
But unfortunately, when I've done that prescription, the people that I've been training um, tend to, I, you know, I, I tend to help create an injury in them. And that's, uh, I've learned the hard way that, for, and for, for me, um, just that uh, always kind of coming away where you, you feel like you, you could have done one more if you, if you needed to, and you, but you're feeling good about the workout and you know you can wake, you know you can go tonight to sleep and you can sleep well and you can wake up in the morning and you can repeat another, another good one. Um, but again, that's my, that's my context. No, we're, we're on the same page. I, I just wanted to, because you said that if it feels too stressful, but I just think that for some athletes, because I, I at least used to be one of them, it wouldn't feel too stressful to go to the well, but it probably was uh, because I've also had a lot of injury problems in the past. And, and I know athletes that, that are the exact same way. So, so getting that, that picture or that, uh, yeah, that picture in your mind that, that you should have, have, have the, the ability to do one or two more at the end of the, of, of the workout is a, is a great one to have because I, I, I agree with that, but I just think that not all athletes will feel that it's too stressful to, to actually go all out. They, they will feel that they're doing the right thing, even though it is too stressful. That's, that's the distinction that I was trying to make. Yeah, no, it's a great distinction. And it's a big issue in the world of like cross CrossFit's gone gone crazy and that whole movement, right? Um with 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 high intensity interval training. And this is another um another chapter. It's actually written by my colleague uh Phil Maftone, and many of the listeners might know. And it's uh it, it's really on athlete health w- with respect to interval training. And it's I mean that's that's the take home message at the end of the day. We need to recognize that this High intensity, high intensity interval training is a, um, it's a stress and, uh, it's a great, it's a good stress used the right way, but it can also, um, the two edged sword. If we, if we do, if we go to the absolute, well, you know, balls out right, right, um, right to the, you know, the, the max of our ability, um, that's a heavy, heavy stress on the, on the body. And you couple that with the other stressors that are in individuals' lives, and it's probably the the main reason for the so-called overtraining syndrome or the manifestation of an injury. Yeah. Okay. So that's, I guess, one of the main ways that you can you can make sure that you recover enough by by having a little bit left in you at the end of the workout. But are there other ways that we can? manipulate intro workouts to to kind of make it slightly easier to recover from yeah yeah so um i guess i guess it really kind of comes back to the the short interval stuff that that i mentioned and again i think and you highlighted this too whereas this is not a format that's used a lot but if you want to uh, you know, it's for the listeners out there, uh, the coaches out there, you might want to try start considering incorporating a little bit of short interval work uh, in your prescriptions. And that's uh, because if we're breaking those intervals into shorter, um, shorter about durations at high intensity um, and, and, you know, separating those with appropriate gaps, again, you're, you're creating in general a less stressful uh, workout. And that's, that's again, a way to, um, still, uh, still do, or still achieve high intensity in a session, but not have it be quite as, as, uh, I guess, excessive and off putting as uh, a long interval VO2 max type, type of, type of set. Yeah. Okay. So that, that, that would be my, my other one. The other thing we could do, we mentioned this as one of the other different ways you can skin the cat. It's, it's having like a period of, um, 
um, like submaximal recovery. So you could separate about uh, a number of different short intervals, right? So for example, you could do, say for example, 30 on, 30 offs for, and you could do six to eight of them and then separate those six to eight 30 on 30 offs by a five minute or 10 minute bout of, of easy spinning or light jogging or whatever. And then, then you do another series of of those. So those, that's another way to, uh, to skin the cat, keep, um, you know, keep stress a little bit more at bay, but still get a great stimulus. And one more variable that I want to talk about is uh, kind of the modality, if you want to call it that of uh, the training, for example, doing intervals on the track or on a flat road versus on a hill uh, or on an indoor trainer versus outdoors on the hills or on the flats on the bike that sort of thing is is that something that we know a lot about and uh, what uh, what do we know if that's the case yeah I, i don't think um i don't think we know too much about that from the from the research there's not a whole lot of studies that that look at that too much it's a bit more anecdotal a bit more coachy um, but I like to, um, <laughs> I like to really switch things around a lot in, from a coaching, a coaching standpoint on the, on the mode. So let's just talk about maybe we'll talk running, running specific, for example. So, um, I would like to manipulate my intervals so that they are, um, you know, a few are even off-road, uh, some are done on the track. A uh, big mistake I've made on the track is not re- reminding athletes to turn the other way, and have developed, you know, had had athletes develop um, ITB syndrome because they've just done their, they're just going around the track on one, 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 one direction. So make sure you're uh, switching the switching those around the track. Um, having them on a flat road often program those uh, specific to the event that's coming up. So if I know a little bit about the course. Then uh, you know I might want to have those potentially on um, you know on a have those course specific. If it's an Xterra athlete, then they're being done in the trails or on a you know on a kind of a, a course specific almost. If, if we know the the course profile, um, and yeah, I think those are those are probably the main yeah the the main considerations. Uh, oh, and and yeah, hills as well. Like having some. Uh, having some hills in there as well so that there's uh you know almost hill repeats are, are absolutely fantastic but just, and, and then again here is why we don't prescribe at an absolute uh speed but we're prescribing at a feel right so get the athlete to do this you know uh, either a long interval or a short interval but but done on a hill uh and again it's another great way to uh to build to build leg strength and and get a get a super um uh super workout yeah, I, I like hill repeats a lot as well because they, uh, as you say, you build strength, you get a bit more recruitment that way potentially, and and it's also less impact, uh, less uh, risk of injury on on the run, at least compared to going to the track or on the road. But I actually watched yeah. your your colleague Martin's videos yesterday, so I have it in fresh memory that there was one study. It's only one study, so I, I'm not saying it's conclusive or anything. But when they measured the time spent at VO2 max intensity with uh, an identical hill uh, intro workout versus a track workout. The track workout was quite significantly better in terms of the time at intensity. So that, that was pretty interesting. I had no idea that would be the case. Yeah, that's why that was the French study. I, I, I do recall that one. That was, I think that's one of the only ones we kind of found on that one. So yeah, it, again, if you're, 
if you're going to throw all your eggs in the basket of time at VO2 max, then absolutely you want to keep it kind of specific to that. So um, I guess uh, one of the principles that I really like that I kind of tend to follow is this, um, yeah, I don't know, I just tend to, tend to see benefits with variety of the stimulus or and I think it's, I don't know if it's necessarily from a physiological standpoint, but almost even from a, from a mental standpoint, uh, from some of the athletes that I coach, they like to see things, you know, you know, things are changing up a little bit from time to time. So that's why I, again, I like to, to go back and forth between those two, but, uh, you, you make a great point that uh, I think you'll get the, the greatest VO2 stimulus from, uh, from flat terrain. And, and again, as, strong evidence from that from that study that you mentioned the french study so uh, let's talk about the case study that we teased a bit earlier and that's uh, an athlete that you coach kyle buckingham who recently won ironman south africa so congratulations for that first and and uh, then take it away what uh, do you want to to tell us about his training and and how how what we discussed today so far has has helped him achieve that kind of success yeah. Oh, thank you. That's uh, it's all Kyle, of course. But man, it was it was fun to be uh, a part of that, and uh, I you know almost a a career highlight from a I don't know from my from my standpoint. And um, yeah, maybe I just uh, from the from the outside, I just got to say it's an absolute. It's been an absolute pleasure to to coach Kyle, and and really feel blessed that our paths crossed. And it, yeah, who knows why it's anything like this kind of works, but it just does. And um, yeah, if, I think we're I think we're going to see a lot more from Kyle in the coming years, uh, especially in the Ironman world uh, as he goes through his mid thirties. It's just right in the he's right in the 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 prime time to to um, to to reap the benefits of of the work that he's done. Uh, and uh, I guess to to um, coin a Simon Whitfield phrase, uh, Kyle is really a student of the sport, and uh, that's what makes him a such a you know, um, and it's that's why it's so enjoyable to kind of coach him. Um, I met I met Kyle after Kona, and he was kind of in that stage where uh, he was his his uh, GI system was really letting him down in races, and he was kind of he was getting um, he was kind of getting that uh, carbohydrate in, intolerance or whatever, and, and just uh, you know those of us that do Ironman know how uh, how the gut can kind of really uh, really take us out of the game sometimes, and and he was going through that. And he just, I think he just wasn't aware of the, uh, the LCHF kind of benefits. I know you've had Tim Noakes and stuff on the, on, on your podcast before. And, and, and I, yeah, I have, I, but I, I have to be completely honest. I, I'm not a big fan of LCHF, but, but I want to bring all sides of the, uh, all different perspectives uh, to the audience. So, <laughs> uh, but great, yeah. great. Well, again, uh, for sure, it's it's probably not for everyone, but um, uh, Kyle's one of those guys where it, he um, he definitely uh, he benefited from that. It was kind of able to he was able to throw away, I guess, those large uh, ninety grams per hour kind of uh, carb um, carb amounts, and and it was just able to kind of bring that down to a more manageable type, uh, less less than sixty grams per per hour, and and that's uh, yeah, he was just basically able to kind of run free a little bit more. So that's, that was probably the biggest factor. He, um, he's got a big post on slow twitch. He talks all a bit, all a bit about that. So what was, um, what, was yeah, the, yeah. what was the change in diet to an LCHF? What, what allowed him to, to do that, to, to go to, and did you measure his uh, fat burning capability and, and how much did that improve as part of, of that process? 
Well, we didn't actually, um, we didn't get them up to any metabolic carts or anything. So we didn't get them before and after, but you know, it's, I've seen enough in the lab and, and, and through, through athletes that I'm, I'm pretty well aware of what kind of goes on and what happens. And I think the base, the bait, you know, the main litmus test is, uh, you know, Kyle's able to kind of go, you can do an eight hour ride with, uh, just on, on water, right. Faster than water. Mm. Not, there's not a lot of guys that can kind of do that. Right. And he, and he'll rock out, you know, 210 Watts for, for eight hours on a, on a long ride. So that's, you can only do that if your fat, fat oxidation is, is super max. Yeah. And that's, that's, yeah, that's what it is. So yeah, he's full keto uh, to start and, um, yeah, you, you know, like, like all of us in the, in the beginning, you're, he's a little bit of a, a doubter and stuff and, and, uh, but we got him there after about, uh, five, six weeks, I think. Uh, and, and then, yeah, he kind of hasn't looked back and he, he's what, you know, he, he talks all about it. It's no secret or anything. And it's just it really, really works for him. So, um, that was the main, that was the main one. But then I think really, um, I guess coming back to interval training, that's, uh, you know, after we got the, the baseline, um, you know, fat oxidation level, just humming and completely high, we, we kind of lost sight, I think a little bit of the top end and that's where interval, it was nice to kind of bring interval training back into that and really start to work on more of the, the top end with Kyle, with some of these short intervals and and long intervals and just, uh, getting a, a good frequency of that, um, and then I guess again to bring interval training and LCHF in together and periodized carbs. It's it's like um, you know the, and there's a lot of really good work on uh, the periodization of um, more your macronutrients and and yet now it's like um, so yeah it's more carbohydrates during the high intensity sessions but it's LCHF um, elsewhere. Yeah, no, and that, that's super fascinating, and and this uh, it ties in nicely with what we've been discussing all along. That what type of interval training as well you do depends so much on the individual and the context, and and the same is definitely true for for nutrition. And and this has absolutely worked worked for Kyle. It's <laughs> clear, as you say, he won and he can do those sorts of rides. That's super impressive. And uh, yeah, yeah, from from my standpoint, just to clarify it for you, I think the listeners are well aware. Uh, I'm not necessarily pro anything. I'm just more, I guess, against the fads that are popping up. And I and I know that you you're not one to fall into fads with with your background. But I think that for people that more more so turn to the general popular media, it can be easy to to be too narrow-sided and two key terms that you mentioned there were periodization and individualization i think that's uh, something that's super important in nutrition as well as in as in training so what you say they were cycling carbs for the high intensity workouts that's uh, uh yeah makes makes a ton of sense and uh it's uh, it's interesting to hear how somebody can do those sort of intervals still on a on a ketogenic diet because that's something that that we still i i guess there's it's still so new that we haven't really seen a lot about it but uh, for him do you think that he can with adding those carbs for internal workouts he can hit them the same way that he used to before uh going on on that diet or what was your take on that yeah so we just got um yeah it's a great uh great point you you make um totally i mean for sure hey if there's money to be made right people are gonna make it so yeah. they're gonna try to make it so there's lots popping up i mean it was the same 
you know, it was the same in, in the carb days as well, right? So it's like, it's, it's just kind of shifted. Um, so you can't, I don't think you can blame anyone or anything, but that's, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, we, we definitely both agree. It's individuals get the, you know, try, try things out for yourself. What works for you? Uh, give things a good chance. Uh, don't try to fall into to fads um, as best you can. And, but, um, but also at the same time, don't be afraid to give something a try for a long time as well. Um, I think especially with that, the LCHF one, if you do it right, um, it can, uh, well, it comes down to the individual. So, um, but, but again, I think Kyle, the, the thing with Kyle in his case, he gave it long enough of a chance uh, to, to see the benefit. How, how long, so we how just long did would you say it took for him to, to adapt to it to a 90, 95% level or so? Yeah, I think it probably took him four to four to six weeks being there. He started to feel it around four to six weeks. And the, the real litmus test that people, the triathletes out there will know is try your long, long ride on the weekend. Try it fasted and just see how long you can kind of go without um, like just have a water or a black coffee in the morning. And then just see how long you can kind of go without really getting that bonk kind of feeling. and the longer you can go, you know, wh- whether that be uh, one and a half to, to three hours to, to four and five hours um, without feeling hungry, uh, the, the more you're on to something kind of thing, right? So Kyle's got up that up to the extreme and he's got that up to eight hours. So um, yeah, uh, I would try that kind of, kind of first. And it, yeah, again, it, to answer your question, it took him uh, about – to get yeah but it took him about uh maybe six weeks to kind of get to a, a decent level where he's probably going for four and a half five hours and then we've you know over the last two years we've pushed that out to eight hours all right cool yeah so it it's time to start wrapping this thing up it's been super fascinating and as we kind of talked about in the pre-interview chat this will become uh, two episodes for sure but i want to finish up with uh, some rapid fire questions that uh, you should answer in in just one sentence or so 15 seconds or less and the first of these is what's your favorite book blog or resource related to triathlon or endurance sports sure so um to be honest, there probably isn't uh, a book per se. Uh, I'm mostly into journals myself. Like PubMed is my is my resource because I'm a, a geeky scientist. Uh, and I would also, li- you know, I'd, I'd I'd follow Twitter and I looked at my my various following on Twitter and stuff. Tends to have lots of interesting things that I um, that I follow. And then podcasts as well would be the the other thing that are they're really that that are awesome. I encourage everyone to to listen to podcasts and. Um, uh, yeah, some of my, the other podcasts that I like to listen to would be Stem Talk, a good science one, and Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, and Waking Up with Sam Harris. What's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Good one. Yeah, the uh, maybe routine uh, is is a big one, and um, just doing my best to practice what I preach as best I can. So trying to prioritize the things uh, that I know will help facilitate my my health. Uh, like my nutrition, my sleep, exercise, and time with with uh, with family and friends. Good one. And uh, what do you wish you had known or wish you had done differently at some point in your career? <laughs> it can well, be triathlon or or professional, uh, academic, sure. anything. 
Well, I think it's, I mean, I think I remember, remember back to the interview, almost thinking that when you, when you got there in the interview and it was the, it was around that, um, the interval stuff where that was one of the things where I, I went to the well too often on my, on my training. I wish I'd had a, a coach to, that kind of guided me a little bit better to tell me not to do that. And, uh, cause I got injured too much and I got overtrained too much and I, I yeah, I would have. Um, would have been nice to see if uh, maybe I had a little bit more in me than than I was ever able to to actually actually get to on the you know in, in the performance sort of level. All right, uh, Paul, this has been absolutely brilliant. I really really enjoyed this conversation. It's been uh, so thought provoking and giving me a lot to to think about. And uh, I'm looking forward to your book for sure. When can we expect your book to be out? By the way. Great. Well, we've got a um, we've got a provisional date that's uh, from uh, Human Kinetics Publishers of December nineteenth, but you know they're they're entitled to change that according to various different things. But that's uh, yeah, that's um, that's when we're expected to have it out. Um, there'll be a website as well that uh, Martin and I will put up. I encourage people to check that out. There, it'll have different uh, ways to interact um, because this is you know we want to grow the grow the area and the understanding in it as well. And that'll be titled. Um, hitscience.com so h-i-i-t science.com so it's not up yet but it's being worked at uh, behind the scenes cool and we'll definitely have you or martin or both of you on again around the time of the or the book launch to discuss more because it's uh, as we found out through this long chat something that we can talk a lot about and and we're still just scratching the surface. Uh, anything else that you want to to mention before we close off this interview like where can people follow you and keep up to date with what you've got going on yeah uh again that probably that website eventually will be the the place to go give give me a couple months uh to for us to kind of get that up there's there's lots of exciting things that'll be happening on that i won't reveal them just now uh and and yeah i'll i'll keep people up to date just on my twitter uh, account which is uh paul b larson at paul b larson Great. We'll link to that in the show notes. Okay. Thanks again, Paul. It was uh, really a pleasure having you on the podcast today. Awesome. It was my pleasure. Great, great chat. Thank you so much, Michael. All right. So there you have it. I will give you my key takeaways for this entire two-part series today since we didn't do that last time. And I guess one of the most important things that uh, that I took away, something that uh, that I think about a lot actually in uh, what, what's the right way to do it. I'm not saying that there is a right or a wrong way, but hearing Paul's take on it was very, very useful. And that is to uh, do the interval workouts that you do such that you maybe leave one interval left in you. Don't go completely to the well every single time because that might just be too big a stress. So so that was an important one, I feel. And then just a quick summary for the types of interval training that we discussed. You have three different systems and they are the aerobic or oxidative system, the anaerobic or glycolytic system and then the neuromuscular or musculoskeletal system. And depending on how you combine what sort of stimulus you give your body, you have six different types of intervals. So one type is just focusing on the aerobic system, then you have the aerobic system plus a neuromuscular stimulus would be a type 2 interval. You could have uh, an aerobic plus anaerobic type interval. 
you could have aerobic plus anaerobic plus neuromuscular and that would be a type 4 interval that we talked a little bit about as well and then a type 5 would be a peripheral aerobic plus anaerobic system and then finally something that Paul also mentioned is not completely it's not it's a different type of training but neuromuscular focusing just on the neuromuscular side would be a six type of intervals and finally another thing that I considered very interesting was uh, that short intervals and uh, Paul pointing out that this is maybe underutilized in triathlon because you can create great stimuli for whatever system you are targeting without necessarily causing as much stress on for example let's say the anaerobic system or even neuromuscular system that may make the workouts much harder to recover from so by knowing these different types of intervals and how to play around with the different variables that we discussed then you can you can design interval workouts that are going to give you the stimulus that you're looking for for the system that you're looking for but without causing undue stress that you're not looking for at this point in time so this is something that we could have talked for hours and hours about of course we just barely scratched the surface here so we'll definitely talk about this again in the in the future on this podcast but uh I would still recommend that anybody who is interested in this and wants to uh, be better at coaching or coaching themselves if they're a self-coach athlete, go and get Paul's and Martin's book when it is released. And uh, I'll definitely keep you posted on that on this podcast. As usual, you can find the show notes for this episode on thattriathlonshow.com. Any comments or questions, uh, leave them on that show notes page and I'll get back to you right away. In the next episode, I will try to get you another age group case study on what it takes to qualify for Kona. So I'm doing the interview tomorrow and fingers crossed that it actually happens and we don't have any technical issues because we had that last time when we were trying to make it. But uh, I'm hoping that everything is sorted now. So in that case, you will have that on the next episode. Thank you to Precision Hydration for sponsoring this episode. You can find them on precisionhydration.com and when you take the free online sweat test, not only will you find out how much sodium you lose in your sweat, but you will also get a complete race strategy all the way from the lead up to the race, preloading with electrolytes and then to what to do within the race and even after the race in terms of replenishing your electrolyte stores. So it's definitely worth taking that online sweat test for even if you just do it for the sake of getting some more information and learning about these things. That's again on precisionhydration.com. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving craft love.